Tickets now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people just like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is a friend of a previous guest, Dr. Columbus Batiste, and he has been on my radar for a very long time, and I don't know why we've never met. But I saw him recently on Dr. Judy Brangman's wonderful summit, who Dr. Judy is also a guest very soon. And I said, please come on my show. You have such a great story. He's here today. Please welcome Dr. Eric Walsh. It's so nice to connect with you. Good to be here. Yeah. So you, you have a great story. And why don't you tell it? Well, there, you know, there's layers to it. I, um, I, I, you know, probably about maybe eight or nine years ago, I read, um, the book, The China Study. And um, at the time I was vegetarian, but as Dr. Batiste says, you know, I was, I was one of those sad um, vegetarians, really a standard American diet, vegetarian style. So, you know, really not eating the whole food plant-based as I'm trying, as I do now. Uh, but um, so, but when I read that book, it really, it, it, it gave me a sense of, of deeper understanding. I'd heard a lot of the things but um, I began to realize that, man, you know, the dairy products have to go because I really like cheese and found it was a lot easier to give up meat when I gave up meat years earlier than to give up cheese. And of course, we know now part of that is the, the case of morphins that um, actually are like low grade, um, <laughs> low grade um, opiates. Um, so, so actually low grade addicting. And, um, you know, once I did that and I really started to read and study um a lot of the other big names in, in the um, whole food plant-based world, I started to realize how much I needed to change. Um, you know, I, I could not control my weight, um, you know, and was having some other issues and problems. And I realized that I have to really do a complete overhaul, even though I don't eat meat. Um, and and even, if, even not eating cheeses and, and drinking cow's milk, there's still an overhaul. And what I've learned um, is that it is processed foods that for a lot of us as Americans is just as much an evil as the animal-based foods. And they really go hand in hand. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a one-two punch by the food industry. Um, and the processed foods are really super bad because of the highly refined sugars, um, the lack of fiber, um, high levels of oils, um, which are processed again. Um, of course, high salt content. So to Michael Moss's point from the book, Salt, Sugar, Fat. Um, these foods are really good at not only getting you in, bringing you in, but really causing damage and disease. And it's not enough to give up some things. You really do have to be intentional about eating foods that are gonna give you life. You wanna eat food that is really like alive. Um, Cause what we eat a lot of is dead food or designed food. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my story, you know, and, and since I've been able to do that, I'm 50 pounds lighter. Um, I can go out and run again. I, I you know, play basketball like I used to, um, just feel a whole lot better. Um, and it, you know, and it's, it's getting easier and easier. Um, uh, my, my affinity for, you know, a, a, a bowl of lentils, which is what I had today for lunch, um, with some couscous is, it's just so much more now than, you know, to have chips and, you know, plant the, the some of the some of the processed plant-based cheeses with plant-based you know processed meats, which are good. I think they're good transition foods um, for some people. But for me, you know, I'm at that point where I need to be eating whole food, plant-based, 
high amounts of raw fruits and vegetables um, and just really trying to eat to live rather than living to eat. Um, and so I, I, you know, I'm really grateful. And, I, and so now, you know, I do see an urgency in this thing as a medical doctor um, because I'm starting to realize that the healthcare system in the United States is an imperfect one. And in many ways, we as Americans have confused the idea of a healthcare system with the, um, with the state of being uh, healthy. We think uh, a, a healthcare system will make you healthy, and that is not the truth. Um, you can look at all of the iatrogenic um, morbidity and mortality that happens every every year in this country. And you know, it's not just having good medicine. You've got to have healthy people, um, and that happens when you have healthy lifestyles. And so, there's an urgency around that because no matter who wins the next presidential election, no matter what who's in power, uh, our healthcare system probably isn't going to change very much. So our diets need to. Absolutely. You know, people think that processed foods are benign, but they're not. Not at all. Um, and obviously, you know, many of them are pro-inflammatory. And so, you know, one of the things that Dr. Batista and I talk a lot about, and I talk a lot about even when I do talks, is that the, the standard American diet doesn't just make you sick. It's a pro-inflammatory diet. Um, and when it inflames you, um, it causes a myriad of problems that last the rest of your life. One of the interesting things that I've been reading on and looking at recently is this pro-inflammatory diet, some of these pro-inflammatory um, markers and, 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 and chemicals and compounds in the body, they actually cross the blood-brain barrier. They go into the brain and begin to affect the brain, causing a hyper-inflammatory state in the brain. Now, here's where that's crazy. When that hits into the brain, the brain itself is affected and behavior is affected. Mental health is affected. So one of the reasons I, I now believe, and there are many, but one of them is that we have the levels of depression, anxiety, um, and even some of the issues we have with, ch with children now probably has a whole lot to do with the foods we're eating and our inactivity. Um, something that we don't talk about a lot, but there is, you know, year over year, more and more people are on serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors like Prozac, um, the demand for uh, drugs and chemicals to change our mood and make us feel better seems to only get more and more every single year. Um, and this is dangerous. Um, you know, anything that changes your mood can be addicting, um, which is why comfort foods are so, you know, can get you and you can become very addicted to comfort foods. Um, and food in general can be addicting. So, you know, we're, we're just looking, when you start to really look at this, there is an urgency. Because I don't know, you know, in 10 or 15 years what America looks like if America continues to have two things, the level of stress that Americans have and the diet that Americans have. You know, it's interesting because Dr. Joel Furman wrote a book called Fast Food Genocide, where he talked about the, the real deleterious effects of processed food that nobody's talking about, well, you are now, and also about food injustice. And of all his books, it's, I think it's, it's his best, and it, it didn't sell as well as all the other ones, you know, because people just, I think, don't, especially vegans, with all the wonderful vegan junk foods now, you know, the fake cheeses and meats, people, they don't want to hear that processed food is not healthy. Well, you know, it's it's an unfortunate thing. Um, and I read that book um, more than once. I really enjoyed um, Fast Food Genocide because it spoke to me um, as someone who's well connected with the inner cities and, um, you know, and uh, just the way I grew up. It, 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 what he says is true. Um, and what we eat and how we eat impacts behavior. Um, and, you know, I think there'll be studies that show that it may even lead to more aggressive behavior. I wouldn't say necessarily violent behavior, but maybe even more aggressive behavior. As we saw, there was a 
a prison, the private prison in California. Uh, not that I'm a fan of private prisons, but there was a private prison in California that actually had one option. I think it was called Maranatha Prisons in Victorville. And they had one option where the people could be whole food, plant-based vegan. And they had, they had no racial um, segregation among the inmates. The violence was like non-existence and the, and the, and the um, recidivism rate was like 2%. I mean, it, the changing their diet was a part of a bigger program, granted, but that was one key piece. And it seemed to have effectively, um, uh, uh, you know, catalyzed um, the, the rehabilitation of those inmates. So um, this, I think there's a lot more about food that we, we aren't even scratching the surface as to the dangers of bad food and the power of healthy, good foods. Yeah. And, and you know, so many kids are growing up as this as their sole food source. When processed food was invented, I don't know, maybe it was around World War II. From what I've read from the books like End of Overeating and Salt, Sugar, and Fat, How the Foods Giants Hooked Us, they didn't intend at the time that it was going to be America's sole food source. You know, they exactly. thought, you know, mom had a PTA meeting Wednesday night, so she pops in a Swanson's TV dinner for Junior, or company comes at the last minute, she makes Betty Crocker, you know, brownies. But now Americans are eating this three times a day. They're, it's not just an occasional oh, yeah. treat or indulgence. It's it's sixty percent or more calories from these highly or what you call ultra processed foods. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because um, we you know I've heard people refer to those as Franken foods. Um, I think it's um, what is his name to write the book The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan says that they are food like substances. <laughs> um, and that's really what where we're at. And I say it's food like substances because these some of these foods don't even spoil. I mean, if you know, I used to work at a place called Taco Viva. I don't think it's in existence anymore, so I can call it by name. Um, it was a it was a fast food kind of knockoff Taco Bell. There a few of them in South Florida when I was living in South Florida uh, in high school. And I can tell you, some of the stuff just didn't even spoil. Like those tortillas, they, they you could set them on the shelf forever and they wouldn't spoil. There are YouTube videos and stuff of people who put Happy Meals away for like a year and a half, and you come back and get it, and the Happy Meal looks the same. No, no fungus is growing on it. It hasn't rotted. Um, and the reason for this is when you process food enough, you pull off the nutrients enough, even the bacteria and the fungus realize this isn't something you want to eat. So food, the food doesn't even spoil, which of course adds to its shelf life. And, you know, we can be, we can, we can, we can assume good intent on the food industry's part, but we at least know the business of business is business. As one of our guests on Slave Food said, the, the point is to make money. It's not to make you healthy, not to make you smarter, not to make you more prosperous. The, the purpose of these foods is to make money. And, and, and there are other aspects of our society that don't mind that these foods make the food industry a great deal of money. And the, the other side of that would, would include the pharmaceutical medical industrial complex, as I call it. You know, the, the drug companies don't mind that people eat this food. This is how they sell Lipitor as the number one selling drug in the world. This is how Prozac sells off the shelf. This is how, you know, metformin and all of the new diabetes meds they make every single year. I can't even keep track of them. Uh, this is why these things sell. This is why hospitals stay full. Why bariatric surgery is a is a is a is a way to make fortunes for your hospital system because of how we eat. So these other industries are you know, they, they, no one is going to say anything. So much so that it, like when you watch the documentary, what the health. Um, I think what his point is, he's trying to say is even some of the industry, even some of the organizations that in their name and objective is to reverse diseases like diabetes and cancers and other things, they can't even speak against some of the causing causative agents because 
they're receiving funding from the very people who make the food that causes it. I, I saw I, one of the most thing that blew me away was a, a tub of Kentucky Fried Chicken with one of the breast cancer, big one of the probably the major breast cancer awareness prevention organizations. I won't even say the name on the on a tub of Kentucky Fried Chicken, as if somehow you can eat Kentucky Fried Chicken and reduce your risk of getting breast cancer. Uh, that, that's a, that's a that's not ever going to happen. I would argue that that you know fried chicken is probably you know I've read actually that chicken is probably number one uh, killing food source from the animal world of all because of just how much chicken Americans eat. Um, so. You know, it's a really interesting thing. This is why there's an urgency. People have got to get to know this because um, you people need, I, my opinion, at least people need to be able to make a choice. You know, um, you know, right now, you, there's no choice. You go to the doctor, you, they tell you you have high blood pressure. The doctor might say, look, you need to go on a low sodium diet. But even what they tell you to cut down to isn't enough to really reverse your, 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 your high blood pressure or, or reduce your risk of stroke. They just tell you, you know, that they don't tell you that there's potassium in plant foods. If you eat high potassium foods, it exchanges out for sodium, dilates the the the, the vessels. They don't tell you that there's nitric uh, uh, nitrous components in many of the plant foods. When you eat it, it becomes nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator, which will naturally drop your blood pressure. They don't tell you that if you basically stop all added salt from your diet and eat a, a plant-based diet, that in fact, you won't need a pill ever in your life. Your blood pressure will naturally go back to normal. Parts of the world where people live to their 80s and 90s and even into the hundreds, like the blue zones, their blood pressures are just the same at 95 years old as it was at 25 years old. Blood pressure is not supposed to increase with aging. That's a it's a farce. It's it's a misconception. It increases with aging because of what we do to our bodies as we age. And American the American medical system has separated that out for its patients um, to let people understand. And in fact, um, what we have as a diseased nation is something we we basically put on ourselves. And we and as much as we think we have a choice, we don't have as much of a choice as we believe. Um, there are billions of dollars spent on advertising these food sources to us. And there's great research that shows that the advertising works. They wouldn't spend the money they spent on a Super Bowl commercial if commercials didn't work. Some, I mean, somebody's been doing the research. This is going on since the 70s. Somebody knows that these things work. And so when we just kind of take a laissez-faire attitude, and I'm just going to eat what makes me feel good. Uh, as one preacher said once, uh, I was listening to him preach, he said, your body will conspire to kill you. If you give your body everything it wants, if you develop the appetite for these highly processed, refined foods, he was talking about food, and if you, if you, you know, animal products, you give your palate, you feed your palate that and make that your preference, what eventually happens is your body will crave the very thing that will kill you. Your body will conspire to kill you. So you've got to find a better way and, um, Good news is the palate is, is is not fixed. It can change, um, and we can we can do better because of it. You know, you're so passionate. People love it, and so do I. Thank you so much. You know, you said that it, at least people should have the right to know. But what I'm afraid of, Dr. Walsh, is even when they know, making change is very difficult because the food is so addictive, and they they've had it from such a young age. Yep. Absolutely. Let me tell you something. That's why, I mean, look, we've learned with drug addiction, you know, one of the mistakes I think society made, and it, and, it, and it was a big part of the faith community, big part of the medical community, that when people were addicted to drugs, there was a lot of judgment, there was a lot of, you know, bashing, and we're not, we've definitely not, in a, as a society, fixed ourselves in that regard, but the judging of those people really was counterproductive. Someone got diabetes, nobody nobody judged them they you know they try to we try to help them 
when with, with, with chemical addiction, we would judge them. And nowadays, at least we, you know, people realize you got to go to rehab. There's a process you got to go through and you can recover. We haven't gotten there with food yet. We don't understand that you interventions need to be uh, continued and created. I mean, there's some that may be working, but we've got to come up with really good interventions around helping people to break from the addictive nature of the standard American diet. Because here's the thing, we, if we are not intentional about how we get people off of these foods, we are losing because the industry is intentional about getting people hooked on these foods. Right. So if you're not intentional on the backside, you're going to lose because there is intent on the front side. And on one of our shows, we had a food chemist, um, uh, food engineer, I think it was. He worked with food chemists and he spoke to how these, they've designed these foods so that they can say, once you pop, you can't stop. Bet you can't eat just one. At McDonald's, I have a bill, picture of a billboard for McDonald's that says crafted for your cravings. And it shows the burger there on, on, on the billboard. They're designing the food so that you want to eat it. This is the pro the way that profit is made. And it's not fair because the government is also subsidizing these foods um, by subsidizing corn and soy and wheat and other things, making the food products actually cheaper to make than they're supposed to be. Cheese is a great example of that. You study how you get cheese on your plate. The government is subsidizing on like two, three different levels, helping to advertise it. The government have programs. The reason cheese is in the crust of pizza, inside the crust of pizza now, is because of government programs. The reason you have these super cheese burgers and stuff that's all the government that's why do you have government cheese blocks of cheese i have a picture in one of my slides where uh, president ronald reagan um that so many of us uh, you know revere as a great president holding up a block of government cheese we don't know that government cheese was the part of the cow the, the dairy industry they, they couldn't do anything with that stuff so they just they condensed all that extra milk down salt saturated fat cholesterol blobs of a animal secretion, put it in giant blocks and shipped it all over the world. Guam, Hawaii, um, Native American reservations, inner city areas, poor white rural areas. Everybody started getting blocks of government cheese. And we thought, oh, the government's doing something good. No, the government was taking the food. This is why we call our project slave food. The flu food that the people in power wouldn't eat, they were giving it to the people they didn't care about. And so, you know, this, this, you know, these things tell you that it's, it's, it takes a lot to change this thing. It is going to take a mighty movement because if not, people are going to die prematurely. And as we say on slave food, sicker and sooner than they're supposed to. And people are not having a good lifespan. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, they may have a good lifespan, but they're not having a good health span. And I don't want to live the last five, 10 years of my life on my back in a, in a convalescent home. I've seen it as a physician and just as a, you know, having, you know, friends and family members that wind up in that condition. I want to be healthy all the way through to the end. And that's really what we're talking about. Your ability to contribute um, to society and to live the best life you can live uh, and to do good for others in that time. Well, like you mentioned, we really don't have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. And, you know, when you think about it, hospitals don't even serve healthy food and they don't sell it in the cafeteria. They don't really feed it to patients. I, I had a friend that was in the emergency room and they, they, they were doing tests and they thought he's either diabetic or he has a, had a heart attack. They were waiting for the tests. And while they were waiting for the tests, they fed him beef stew, apple pie, milk, <laughs> Is this what you give people that maybe just had a heart attack or maybe diabetic? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the study showed, I mean, just one fatty cholesterol-filled meal is enough to actually tip the scales in the cardiovascular system and trigger a heart attack. So the idea that you'd feed someone that, that you think may have had a heart attack while you're waiting for their test is, is, is malpractice, honestly. Um, I, I remember speaking to a, a young lady who was the head of a hospital system, and this hospital system traditionally... Um, you know, taught and and kept like a, a was more plant based. Some people figure out what kind of what 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 faith based hospital system I'm talking about. And she would told me that when she brought up to the higher ups that listen, we need to at least remove red meat from the cafeteria and the patients' um, servings. They they said if you do that, you will fire you. You'll be fired if you do that. And she said, but, you know, we're here to try and make people healthier. And we know this isn't going to do that. They said, we don't care. People won't come to the hospital to be treated if we give them red meat. And I honestly believe that's a misconception. I think if you created a hospital that that gave whole food plant-based um, option, that was totally whole food plant-based and gave options around other lifestyle changes, I think those hospitals would be full. Because if someone wound up in there for six or seven days getting chemotherapy and was fed high nutritious foods, they'd feel better and survive what their treatments were better. And they would tell their friends that this hospital did gave me better treatment than the other one. And I think they would grow. But again, it's all about power. It's all about money. And it's unfortunate because to give people the, the food that actually got them to the point where they needed a hospital in the first place in the hospital Again, malpractice. Well, well, I remember I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I was a freshman in 1977. And at the Children's Hospital, a McDonald's was in the lobby. This was 1977. That's, and I'm, I, I, I would argue that there's probably still, if not in the hospital, there's probably still a lot of them right across from the hospital. All right, because Ronald McDonald House, they, Ronald McDonald gives money to the hospital. So when children are sick with cancer, the parents can stay there for free. So I guess that's how they ease their conscience for getting yeah. the cancer in the first place. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, 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 like I said, it's unfortunate and there is an urgency. I mean, you know, one, we, you know, we, we, we know that the standard American diet, so let, let's step back from, from severe disease and go to education and, um, um, and, 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 you know, an overall life um, performance for young people. The, the standard American diet does not, does not help or aid with that. I believe it creates, it at least contributes to some of the behavioral issues we see in kids that we're now medicating them up for. Um, but there was a study, you know, just recently, I think um, Dr. Michael Greger talked about it on, on nutritionfacts.org. And, and I, I went and looked at the study, but it, it basically I think it was out of UK, you know, if you give a kid no blueberries in the morning before they go to school, they don't do well on tests. Add one cup, they do better on the test. You add two cups of blueberries before they go to school, they do even better on the test. Um, that, te that says a lot. We know that saturated fat in the diet of children goes in and messes with the um, amygdala, um, that inflammation that it causes, and, and messes with the ability for the child to have proper memory. So you, you start to look at how food impacts even the way a child uh, learns um, and you realize it's, it's an imperative if you're a parent that your child is eating the healthiest possible meals because it will actually help determine how they perform in school and how they behave and other things based on the science that is coming out. Right. Well, part of the problem is I think doctors don't tell their patients. Not everybody has somebody like you as a doctor. And you mentioned about 
people having cancer treatment options for better food before COVID or for years, I volunteered at a cancer hospital and they would bring the card in while they were having their infusions. And it was, you know, it was like turkey and mayo on white bread or ham and cheese, chips and Coke. And I'm, as a volunteer, I can't really say anything, but I would say something like, oh, did your doctor tell you to change, eat any differently now that you're having these treatments? Oh, my doctor says my cancer has nothing to do with my diet. I mean, yeah. this is what the doctors are telling them. So how can you blame them? Because, you know, doctors know everything. Right. And uh, unfortunately, most doctors in medical school get very little nutrition education. I do know that for a long time, the meat and dairy industry, and I think specifically the dairy industry, had a lot to do with um, what nutrition information you did get in medical school. And that starts in kindergarten in a lot, or used to, um, you know, where the dairy industry actually made the posters you put up around, you know, nutrition pyramids and stuff. So it, it's, it's crazy, but this is where we are. We are at a point where um, the people who are supposed to be doing the healing don't even understand the true source of many of these diseases. So they can't understand the true source of how you uh, recover from these diseases. Nutrition has to be a major component. And it can't simply be that you say, okay, we're going to give you less salt and less sugar. And it has to be a, a revamping of how uh, people eat if we expect to actually reverse disease, which it is, which is very possible to do with many of these diseases, but the diet has to be reversed as well. You know, you know, a lot of people don't even acknowledge behavior change in their children when they feed them crap because they think this is just how their kid is because the kid hasn't eaten any different. When I was in college, I used to have a job where I would pick up kids at school and drive them home and I would pick up these brothers and the ride home was maybe like 30 minutes and I'd pick them up from school and they were just lovely children and we would talk and they, you know converse and they were calm and the, the, the mother gave me permission they and money they were allowed to stop at 7-eleven if they wanted on their way home and so they would stop and they would get a slurpee and some flaming cheetos and almost immediately they started fighting with each other they got moody i mean i saw this before my eyes i'm not a doctor but i'm not an idiot either and i could see that just having all that sugar and crap it affected their behavior almost immediately Absolutely. And I think more and more studies will come out to show that, um, uh, like that blueberry study, I mean, that's a simple little study, but it shows, it says a lot. Because if you, that means if you don't have that kind of high nutrient food in your diet, what else is it doing? Um, if, if, you know, if, you, if, if that's just looking at the, the performance on a test, what else is it contributing to? So um, that's, that's one of the things. And the other thing, of course, is for kids and for adults, there's a lot of stress right now um, and has been for a long time. I think 2020 is up the game on stress um, with the coronavirus pandemic and with um, um, the injustices that we've seen, the response to those injustices, um, the, the storms, the fires. I mean, the whole country, I mean, it's just one thing right after the other. And we know that stress will make you eat differently. You know, um, uh, one nutritionist says uh, stress does dessert spell backwards, right? So, you know, it, it, it's a real thing. And we know that when cortisol, the stress hormone, is released in high amounts, it does a lot of damage. One of the things that happens, though, is when you eat something sugary with a little fat in it and you eat that honey bun or that Twinkie or whatever it is and you get that sugar rush, it, it blunts the effect of cortisol. And so now you feel better. But, of course, it's not a real solution to your stress. Um, and eventually people become cortisol resistant um, so that the inflammatory markers in their immune system no longer works well or the system to control them. So your body gets inflamed even from stress itself, not just from a diet. This is why Dr. Batiste and I talk about nutritional stress. Uh, so now you got stress from the environment, stress from the diet, 
all inflaming you and all really leading to disease. So we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, so I say there's an urgency if we're going to really help people to, to change course, um, because you can see even from the way that the world and our nation, I don't single out America's no country to me and a very few countries have done a very good job of coronavirus you can see from the response that if you don't take your health into your own hands you're putting you're you're assuming that the people in in control and in power are going to be able to do it for you and that clearly is not the case um, and has not been in America for a very long time um, so you know you assume the hospital is going to do the best thing but they're only going to do what they've been trained to do. They're only going to do what, what kind of supports their, their financial structure. Um, you've got to step back and say, what's best for me? And then to your point earlier, how do I make this change? How do I switch from very highly addictive, very palatable, hyper palatable foods? How do I switch from all of that? How do I get off of animal products when I've been told my whole life, this is a sign of your wealth, sign of your success to have steak and eggs in the morning for breakfast? How do you, I, I change my mindset so it's tofu and, and, you know, and, and spinach in the morning? And that's my, that's my wealth because my health is my wealth. That's the challenge I think that we are going to face uh, to your point earlier. You know, it's funny that you had mentioned earlier how the processed food just lasts forever. It never goes bad. And you, you just mentioned honey bun. I wish I had known because in 2012, when I was teaching a live ultimate weight loss class, I had gone to 7-Eleven to buy one of their, like, it's like a Cinnabon. And it was just, it's just to talk about calorie density. It was like this glazed pastry that came in plastic and it was, you know, about 1100 calories, 65 grams of fat. It's now eight years old. I wish I could grab it. It hasn't changed. I mean, I wouldn't eat it anyway, but it it, it never, oh, it didn't wow. decompose. Yeah. It's not changed in eight years. How is that possible? That says, that says it all. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's not real food. Um, real food spoils. Um, and so if, if you could have something, something sit on the shelf for eight years and it looks exactly the same, you, you shouldn't, it's not to be eaten on day one because there is no nutritional value. And really disease to me is, um, you know, a product of, uh, in, in, of not having enough uh, nutrients. So, you know, we, we, Columbus and I use an equation, health equals resiliency over stress. So, you know, um, you know, you've got to find a way to get your stress down, but you also have to find a way to increase your resiliency. And that comes from the right, eating the right foods. Yeah. So talk, talk about your website, Slave Food. I've been posting the link to it and so have other people. What is it? What, how can we help you in your mission? Well, one of the things that as a public health person that I, re I recognized, especially as I was going through changes and trying to you know, transform my own diet, um, is I, I realized that there's a massive health disparities. I was, I was working at Loma Linda uh, when um, one, of the, one of the rounds of the Adventist Health Study was about to come out. Um, and one of the people on the study, a Dr. Susanna Montgomery, wrote a paper, um, brilliant paper, that African-Americans, much of their, um, the health disparity could actually be reversed um, by, by lifestyle changes. And a big part of that was moving as far as possible towards a whole food plant-based um, lifestyle. There's some other things, but that was one big component of it. Um, the Slave Food Project looks at this and asks the tough question, why do Black people die sicker and sooner than basically everyone else? COVID has just highlighted that that is still the case, even, even in this regard. And so how, you know, how do we, how do we reverse this? How do we, how do we fix this? Part of it is to alert African-Americans that when you are looking for justice um, and you're looking for life-saving justice, you almost have to start in the kitchen. 
You have to start with what people are eating because, um, you know, during slavery, um, the slaves are given the, you know, the worst portions of food. That's why when you look at soul food, not slave food, soul food, it is pig's feet. It is chitlins, which is the intestines of a pig. Um, it is, you know, uh, chicken feet chicken necks, um, the gizzards. I mean, I could go on and on. It's, there's a whole bunch of pieces of animals that clearly don't seem like they should have ever been fit for human consumption. This is why we say, you know, you're eating high on the hog because you're eating high on the hog, you're eating good because you're not the one eating the feet and the intestines and those parts of a pig, right? That comes from slavery. So, you know, we talk about slave food and what we're reminding African-Americans of is the diet, much of the diet that we, we've inherited as, slave, as soul food was actually really food that the, that the masters rejected. They would need it themselves. And so they gave it to the slaves to eat. And of course, the slaves did a, a great job of making it palatable and, you know, and, and doing what they could to make it taste good. But it was obviously a disease causing food. The comedian Dick Gregory, who was a brilliant uh, African-American comedian and activist for a plant-based lifestyle, he, he had a joke, a, a bit that he would do where he, he talked about, you go to a black funeral um, and here's this person laying in a casket, died of a chronic disease. And literally the food they feed you at the funeral is the very food that got put the person in the casket in the first place. Um, and it's, it's a joke, but it's not really a joke. It's, it's a sad reality because we, we don't, you know, if you don't understand it, it's difficult to break the chains of it. So slave food, is, we start on the historical aspect of it. And then we move to are we still being fed slave food today? And this goes back to government subsidies for bad foods, things like government cheese. This goes to the hyper expansion of fast food restaurants in poor inner city neighborhoods that are predominantly black and brown. Um, or, and I also throw in a rural white neighborhoods. We, we talk, I have to say, in honesty, living in the deep south, I went to college in the deep south, went to, did a lot of school in the deep south. It's not the truth of the matter is you go out into poor rural white areas. It's not it's it's almost a mirror image as much as there's racial separation in this country. Uh, if you really look at it, it's the same tactic being played out in both places. Um, but we talk about the inner city and how we have food swamps. So you after the the, the riots of the late 60s, this, uh, Nixon said, you know, any um, act of racism is an act of communism. And so he said, look, we're going to invest in inner city America. Small business loans came out. And the problem is those small business loans were disproportionately given to fast food restaurants and, you know, corner stores kind of that would sell junk food over real grocery stores. Real grocery stores, as you know, the margins, the profit margins are so small. So what happened? Well, all of a sudden, fast food joints stormed into inner city areas because they were more profitable um, and um, they were good businesses in terms of making money, but it created what we call food swamps. And food swamps happen when you have um, calorie dense, nutritionally sparse foods um, in overabundance in a small area. Um, you know, and you can see that if you go up in certain neighborhoods in, in South Central LA, even in Pasadena, as wealthy as Pasadena, you go on the poor side of Pasadena and you go up, I think that's Lincoln Avenue, you'll see it going up, uh, up, up that road. Um, so you see this transformation of a neighborhood where this is the fundamental food. So you get food swamps on one side of cheap, bad food, but you get food deserts on the other side, which you hear a lot about, where it's very difficult to find healthy whole foods um, at all. It's really hard to find these things um, to be able to eat and to keep your family and yourself healthy. Um, and so 
it's that challenge that was created. And our Slave Food Project is really about educating African-Americans, promoting um, urban gardens, um, talking more about, you know, even if, you know, lobbying for better food options in, in the neighborhoods um, and making a decision that you are not going to be get the leftovers from the master's table. You're going to make a decision to eat the best possible food um, for you and your family to be healthy. You know, I'm 60 and I never knew what the saying high on the hog meant until today. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, you talk about black funerals. I'm going to tell you, Jewish funerals aren't any better. <laughs> what they serve at Jewish funerals is exactly what put the person in the coffin too. It may, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. What would you, I mean, it, it's, it's horrible. You know, it's, it's, it's as bad as the standard American diet, which again, SAD could also stand for the substance abuse diet. Yep. That's a good way to put it. I, you know, I, I it, it, and I think the, the truth of the matter is once, once people groups even move to the United States, a lot of the foods that are healthier are replaced by the foods that are easier to get here. Um, and so, you know, the amount of cheese you can put on in Italian food shoots up. It's cheaper. You know, cheese is so much cheaper here. Same with Mexican food. The quality of the tortilla changes, the amount of beans decrease, um, the amount of meat increases. Um, so, you know, just coming here, regardless of where in the world you're from or your family's from, something about being American does actually change the way we eat um, because of the profit-driven nature, the lack of local uh, feeding uh, from farms. It does change things uh, just just like that. I mean, and there's a stress. Being American, there is a stress. I don't care what color you are, there's a stress. Obviously, the poorer you are, the more disenfranchised you are, probably the stresses are higher. Um, and we actually know that to be the case. So just feeling a, a lack of, um, um, of, of, of control of your own destiny is one of the indicators that raises stress and causes disease. So there's a lot of reasons why people have to, we have to look at our diets and change them because we can't let stress kill us. And one of the ways you buffer that is, is, is good, healthy food. I, I love your health equation. Health equals resiliency over stress. Yep. How do we become more resilient? I, I think eating better food will help us be, you know, physiologically more resilient. One of the other things we talk about is stress equals demands minus resources. From a, from a definition of stress that says um, um, stress is when a person's demands, real or perceived, outweigh the resources they have to deal with those those demands. And it's true, you become stressed. If, if I'm a if I'm a multimillionaire and the police pull me over to give me a ticket, eh, whatever. If I'm living paycheck to paycheck on $16 an hour and I get that same $300 ticket, that thing is going to drive me into the ground because I don't have the resources to deal with that ticket. Um, so stress equals demands minus resources. So how do you become more resilient? You increase your resources and you decrease the demands on yourself. Uh, you have to change the way you look, not be so materially minded sometimes. Um, but when it comes to resources, also be careful not to take in false resources. So sometimes bad food seems like a good resource. It makes you feel better. Uh, you know, lots of caffeinated product gives you energy. Um, you know, um, alcohol calms you down. But you got to be really careful that you're not using false resources. Real resources will actually make you overall stronger and healthier and more resilient. And resilience comes from having good social networks. It comes from getting enough sleep. It comes from getting enough exercise. It's not just what we eat. There's a, there's a whole um, um, plethora of, of, of natural ways that we can be healthier. And all of those things contribute to that. Absolutely. You know, I remember when I uh, first read Salt, Sugar, and Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us, 
they talked about how the the person that invented Lunchables, you know, that that Oscar Mayer thing, didn't even allow his children to eat it. And I yes. recently saw a, a Netflix documentary. I don't know if you saw it called Social Dilemma. It's very good. I just, I just started it last night. I didn't finish it. Well, I'm not going to ruin it for you. It's it's very disturbing. But the idea was is these people aren't letting their children use the technology. So, you know, I feel like that's another thing that we didn't have to deal with. I mean, the kids are already, they're not exercising, they're eating horrible food, and then they're spending their whole day. They're not even, they don't, you know, I've seen young people and they'll get together. They, first of all, they don't even need any, I'm not, I'm talking, I'm not talking about COVID. COVID it's not yeah, a lot yeah. of fun to me. I'm talking before COVID, they just sit there on their phones with, you know, and that's how they talk to each other. It's like, they don't even have any skill to interact. And it's, it's unfortunate um, because we know that social interaction, that's why we say about COVID, I say don't social distance, physically distance. You need to still remain socially connected. And I, I, I took that from somewhere. Somebody said it. I said, that's, that's a very good, true, good and true statement. Um, but you're right. Young people, you know, we're looking at young people who are going to grow up and have a difficult time starting a conversation with someone they don't know um, and being able to, you know, fit in very easily with people they don't know as well. So it's it's a it's a it's a it's a weird and strange time from that perspective. Um, so we have a lot of work to do. I, when you said it, I also think of um, uh, the guy last name Robbins, um, who's he's also he promotes whole food plant based living. John Robbins. John Robbins, and he was the he's the, like I think almost like an heir to the Baskin Robbins um, uh, empire. I used to work at Baskin Robbins when I was in high school, um, and he said he says I'm profound in a book of his I read, or, or he just said you know literally he had to walk away from it because he understood the health dangers that ice cream causes, you know, and he saw it even impact his own family. So, you know, they did, they, unlike social network or unlike Lunchables people, the, everyone in their family did eat it. And they actually saw the ill effects in their generation, but life's cut short. If you eat ice cream two, three times a day, because you, you know, the king of the ice cream world, it will take its toll on you. Um, and he saw that. And so when we look at a lot of these projects, to your point earlier, they weren't, if they were designed to be eaten every day, it's because somebody really wanted a lot of profit. But in theory, they weren't. You know, if somebody had a Snicker bar, you know, once every six months, so what? But when you have a Snicker bar once a day, twice a day, um, you know, every time you walk out of the grocery, when I was a kid, that was the, I went to the grocery store with my mother because the hope was on the way out. I'd get a Mars bar, Twix bar, a Snickers bar, and, you know, just just addicting myself as a child more and more to sugar and processed foods. Um, and so, you know, we can't, that those things, they've made it so that you constantly want them. And it's not just the addictive nature of the food itself. To your point, the advertising is over the top and the ability to advertise to people directly through what they're learning through the social, like, like the film Social Network is talking about, what they're learning is how to target directly towards me. Um, you know, Dr. Batista and I did a talk yesterday for um, an African-American uh, boarding school, uh, which is really interesting, um, uh, high school. And we, we pulled up, there's a new ad by McDonald's with, a, with an African-American um, star. Uh, I think he's a, I don't know if he's an athlete or a rapper. I don't know who he is, but I saw it. I've seen the commercials and he's got all the gold on and he's talking the lingo and he's got his own burger at McDonald's. And we're saying, look, this is like they're using the culture. Who's going to watch this? Which kids are going to uh, um, um, tune in and, and connect to this because of who they're using and how they're using them to advertise? And it's a scary thought because literally those are the kids that need the food the least. 
and yet they're the ones being targeted in a sense. Um, and it, it's an unfair thing. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it because I want people empowered at least to be able to make an informed decision, you know, at least be able to do that. And then to your point, how, and, you know, come up with great ways for people to actually thoroughly change the way they're living so that they live a better, healthier life. Uh, so what kind of doctor are you and are you able to make a difference in the lives of your patients or colleagues? I do. Oh, I try so hard. I, you know, a lot of the people that work with me and for me, you know, I talk to them at length. I've had, I've had a few actually go whole food plant-based after we've just had discussions on why I don't eat certain things. A lot of patients, what I do, especially in this COVID era, is I speak to them a lot about how diet impacts inflammation and how the last phase of coronavirus infection that actually is the deadly phase is what we call a hyper-inflammatory phase. Then I talk about how food can be hyper-inflammatory, processed foods, sugars, um, saturated fat, all the things that can cause inflammation in the body. And then what I do is I jump and I talk about things like resveratrol found in the skin of grapes, how studies have shown that it, it, it decreased the um, length of viral infections. Um, I talk about um, zinc in foods, um, high in certain beans and, and greens. And I talk about uh, chemical compounds like quercetin, um, which is highest in like elderberries, but you can see it in red onions and in um, lots of other foods. And so I um, how whole grains have lots of zinc, which is also important. So I start to speak to them and say, listen, you can beat this. If you remove dairy from your diet, you'll actually make less mucus. You remove sugar from your diet. Sugar actually uh, infiltrates the white blood cells um, and causes them to go to sleep. And when, and when, so when sugar goes into your white blood cells, vitamin C can't get into your white blood cells. And so your white blood cells are nowhere near as effective. It's like they go to sleep, literally. Um, and if you think about it, the flu season doesn't just correlate with the fact that that's when influenza kind of comes around as the winter. Think about what kicks off flu season in a sense. It's Halloween. It is literally a, food, uh, a sugar orgy. Uh, at the end of October into November and then Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And so one right after the other, there's this massive sugar intake. Yeah, that's, that's a great correlation. I, I always know with my work with people that suffer from food addiction and want to lose weight that I knew that Halloween was like, it's, that's when it starts. But I never even realized the correlation between the flu season. That's so great. Yeah, sugar um, is obviously horrible for the immune system. And again, this is what people aren't being told this though. I, I explain that to patients and they, their eyes pop open. They're often not happy when I tell them that if they can cut the, um, cut the dairy intake, that they'll do a whole lot better as well. Um, but I do work with patients and tell them the benefits of some of these things. I see people with diabetes and I explain to them, listen, it's predominantly processed fats and animal fats. Why people get diabetes? And they're like, what? It's not sugar? I was like, no, it's not sugar. Sugar is a part of it because of, obviously, but fat blocks the insulin receptor makes it so that the glucose channels don't open so sugar can't get into your cell. If sugar can't get into your cell, where does it stay? In your blood. So you have high blood sugar. Now, if you eat a honey bun, it's full of fat and sugar. So your sugar goes even higher, but it's the fat. I said, you'd be amazed what happened if for three weeks you said no oils, no animal fats, no processed fats, no added fats. You took fats out of your diet and the fat you ate was in an avocado, in some nuts, in some seeds, in its whole natural form. I said, you do that for four weeks and come back and see me and, and let's see how different it is. And for those who are able to do it, even for a couple of weeks, they're shocked at how much better they're able to control their sugar, especially depending on where they are in the, in the gamut of their diabetes disease. These are things that as doctors, we have to share. People need to know this. You can't eat fried chicken where, where not only is it deep fried in oil and fat, 
the chickens nowadays, the way they're raised, they, there is intramuscular fat. The, the actual flesh is different. That's why it melts in people's mouth. Um, you don't want food to melt in your mouth like that. It, actually, when you think about nature, natural foods in general don't melt in your mouth. Processed foods do, and these, especially these now hormone-pumped um, animal products, they do because of all the fat that's able to collect inside the muscle. And so when you cook it up, it just falls off of the bone, people tell me. I said, it's not supposed to do that. So, you know, you, you, you may like it, but literally it's disease-causing because of what you like about it. And I think that's what's almost sinister, is the idea that the food has been been created and some of its design maybe some of its happenstance because they want to grow the food the chicken so fast but either way this is a disease forming thing and you like the very aspect of it that causes the disease the most that's that's hilarious it makes me i, I recently interviewed jack lalane's wife elaine lalane it's like he used to say it tastes good spit it out you know <laughs> <laughs> you know you're so you know so much about this subject and you're so passionate about it have you ever thought of writing a book or having your own show um, I, you know, I, I kind of, Dr. Batiste is the leader of our little group, so I, I, I will follow him. We are going to be working on a book, uh, a slave food book, um, and hopefully creating a docu-series. Um, we have already begun that process of hashing all of the pieces out. Um, we do have our slave food show um, that we do and bring on guests and talk about things. And it's been very, very well received and doing very well. And you can see it if you go at uh, slavefood.com, slavefood.org, or you go to YouTube. Our YouTube channel is, I think, uh, Slave Food Project, at Slave Food Project on YouTube. Um, and you can watch our old episodes. And it's very informative. We have some really good guests. I just want to be an instrument. I, you know, I'm hoping to just help other people um, gain some victories. You know, I've had a lot of family members die prematurely. Um, and I, I mean, I could literally list probably 10 off the top of my head. Um, and one of my aunts died a horrible death of diabetes with amputations. She was a very young lady when it happened. I left five children behind. Um, my own mother died of multiple myeloma, which I look now that I'm reading and studying more, probably had a lot to do with her diet and her stress levels, the combination of the two, I believe. Um, and I could go on and on. And so I don't want people to have to suffer that way. I, I believe um, we've been given everything in nature we need uh, to live healthy lives. Um, and it's just not as sexy as a lot of the processed foods, the restaurants, going out to eat and all of these, fan these fancy places as staying home and making your own food, uh, growing your own food um, or supporting local farmers to make sure that you have the best possible food. Uh, I didn't know what, I, uh, my wife has been making me um, 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 a lot of really healthy stuff and she makes these lotus root. The, um, man, I, that thing is so delicious. She cooks it into the vegetables and it stays crispy when everything else kind of gets a little softer. Little things that and you're just like, well, I would have, you know, if I'd have stuck to the standard American diet, I wouldn't be eating, I wouldn't be eating, eating lotus root. And, um, you know, I had some, um, they made some buckwheat instead of rice one day, her and her mom. Amazing. Like, I, stuff, I wouldn't know, rich in selenium, really, really good for you. Um, and what you find is that we think you're, you think you're limiting yourself when you remove processed foods and you remove animal products. But what there is, there's a whole world of food out there that most of us are not acquainted with, that it's unfortunate because these are literally foods that give life, that stop aging in its tracks. I look at you, and when you say you're 60 and you look so wonderful, I, um, Chef Babette down in LA, who I love to death, you, you know, I was in her store one time and we were talking about slavery products. She jumped down the ground and started doing push-ups. Um, you know, and she's in her she's in her seventies now. Um, you know, there's no reason to think that life has to stop at fifty because you're just gonna start getting old all of a sudden. 
the truth of the matter is uh, we can grow back telomeres. Dr. Batiste talks a lot about this a lot and actually keep the, not just the length of life, but the strength of life all the way through to the end. So that we're there for our grandchildren, our great grandchildren um, and able to impart the wisdom that we have onto them. That's a great saying. You have a lot of great sayings. It's not just the length of life, but the strength of life. I'm telling you, you should write a book. You, <laughs> yeah. So, so your wife is plant-based too? Absolutely. And she's lost like, um, probably like 25 pounds. She's doing phenomenal. Um, and when I met her, she was still eating, still eating meat, um, and, uh, you know, cheeses and stuff like that. But she's, she's made some really good changes and, her, and she and her mom now are cooking all of these really great things. And so it's made it easier for me being busy because, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have time, but fortunately for me, it, it's pre-prepared and, and I can, eat, you know, big bowls of fruit salad. That's what I eat for dinner a lot of nights. There's a big thing of fruit salad with some coconut shavings on it. And I'll eat that and that would be it for me for the day or giant salads um, for lunch. You know, I try, I try to stick to that. I learned that in Joe Furman's book, um, Eat to Live. Um, and I love this idea of a pound of raw vegetables, a pound of cooked vegetables. Um, I, I love that. And so to this day, I try to do that every day is to mix some cooked vegetables or raw vegetables every day for my meals. Well, I don't think I've ever had lotus root, so maybe your wife will come on and do a <laughs> Yep. Can people actually see you? Do you work? I mean, I, I, I don't know if it can... Regular- you know, the, the, the weird thing is I, I work, you know, hope maybe one day Columbus and I'll get to a point where we really do open up like a lifestyle medicine practice. Um, but right now I do urgent care work. So, you know, I see people really when they're sick or they've broken something. And I love that work because it's flexible. Um, it allows me to do some of these other things, but, um, you know, uh, right now, no, but Columbus and I are working on a lot of things. And before this calendar year is out, I think we'll be able to start up in the ante. We would love to do some even online, um, uh, programming to really help support people because I've been through it. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I meet people who are plant-based who never had a weight problem in their life. Um, and they, you know, they talk about the benefits of it, but when you've actually had to lost 50 pounds doing this, you understand the pitfalls, the difficulties. Um, and, but you also understand the, the joy and the, um, and, and, the, and the strength that you gain from making these changes as well. And, you know, I, I plan on obviously being this way the rest of my life um, and just continuing to get healthier and healthier um, and, and trying to be an example as well um, for, for those who, who need one and be a source of strength. Wow. You know, what's the incentive though? Because the pharmaceutical industry is so powerful. The processed food industry is so powerful. If people get healthy, we kind of put both of them out of business. Yeah, Bill Maher, obviously a great comedian. Um, Bill Maher, who has his own show on like HBO, I heard him once um, say, uh, there's no money in, I think they use it in one of the documentaries too, there's no money in dead people and there's no money in healthy people. The money's in the middle. The money's in, have, in propping people up for the rest of their lives on, on cholesterol pills, blood pressure pills, diabetes pills, uh, chemotherapy treatments. That's where the money is. You know, if everybody's healthy, there's no money in that. And there's really no money if everybody just starts dropping dead. The money's in the middle. Um, and so medicine is almost, it almost seems like it's designed to just keep you alive uh, without ever actually curing you. Yeah. So we want to keep people as sick as possible for as long as possible. Exactly. And it, and it works because you look at even the coronavirus thing, I mean, the vast majority of the deaths in America and Europe were in nursing homes and um, it should never have happened. We should have, we should have done a much better job protecting them. Um, but our nursing homes are, are, there are a lot more people in our nursing homes a lot earlier and it get earlier and earlier and earlier in life as we go on because we've, 
we've just accepted the standard American diet. Um, and so it's, it slowly brings us down and, um, you know, and, and causes us uh, to wind up in a place where the, our length, our length of life may not even change, but our health, our health span does change. And that's what we've, you know, we've got to fight against. People need to know that because our, our country needs everyone productive. In my opinion, America's a stronger, better country. If you have people all the way through their lives being strong and healthy and being able to contribute. Yeah, well, we hope that things will change. You have been an amazing guest. People really enjoy you. You know, I'll just, I may as well tell people, you know, you were scheduled and you still are scheduled if you'd like to come back in February. And I actually had a kid. It was so funny, guys. Uh, We had a juice man today scheduled and he got sick from the fires and he texted me at 930 and I happened to be texting with Dr. Walsh uh, coordinating his date in February and he said he wanted a Sunday and I'm like well today's Sunday can you come on like in 90 (laughs) minutes and I I really appreciate first of all you doing that but I'm just so happy because you're just you're just you're just so passionate about this and you're just so articulate so thank you so much thank you thank you for having me I've heard wonderful things about you as well and uh, we'll we'll have to link up um, when all of this COVID stuff is over, and I'm out in California with Dr. Batiste. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, when people are asking how they contact you, I don't think they mean your phone number, but like, like I mean, people are saying, well, you know, I go to a, I have this church. Like, would he speak? So absolutely, absolutely. So if you want to, if they want to just go to the Slave Food um, website, um, Columbus's wife coordinates our speaking and stuff. They can totally just. Um, leave a message there. Um, or if they want to leave you a message, I, you have my information. If you want to forward messages on to me, that's yeah. perfectly fine as well. Yeah. So, so can I keep that date in February? Cause absolutely. I'm, I already put it on my calendar. February right, 20, I think we said February 24th, right? I think it's February 28th. It's um, 28th it's is the Sunday. Yeah. yeah. It's a Sunday. It's actually the day of healthy, uh, get healthy Sacramento. I'm speak, but I'm not speaking till that one. Well, everybody's saying this is fabulous. So thank you so much for, for what you're thank you. And I love that you're working with that. <laughs> he's another one of my favorites. He's awesome. <laughs> well, you, I know you have to go to work. So that's why we started a little early because you're a real doctor. Doctor, and, and thank you so much. It was wonderful meeting you, Dr. Wall. Wonderful meeting you as well. Great. And thanks you guys so much for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time when Lisa Carlin, who is a TCRM cooking instructor and has her own show on Jane Unchanged called Hey Doc, will be doing a cooking demo and making quiche. And I was very serious, Dr. Walsh, if your wife wanted to come on and show us how to use lotus root, I would love it. All right. I'll tell her. <laughs> okay. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.